You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Come Home, Full Life in a Whole Church. In this series, we see that those who come to Christ find new life in a new family. We'll learn why the church exists, what it does, and how each of us is a valuable part. Now let's hear the word of the Lord. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched Jesus' appearance, was transformed so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down to the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Sojourn. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. Peace be with you. This is my first time to preach uh, to you this spring, and I don't need to tell you what a tense, unusual spring we've had. This coronavirus has been such an unexpected twist in the story of our lives that if you're like me, you've been gripped by a feeling of powerlessness. And it's not just a feeling. We literally can't go where we want to go. We can't do what we want to do. We can't even help people the way we might want to help people because of social distancing. And of course, it's worse uh, for those of you who have lost jobs or had your hours or salary cut or you've been sick or you've had loved ones who have been sick, or if you have loved ones who have even passed on. But even for those of us that haven't been affected in any of those ways, what the events of this spring have shown us, if we didn't already know, is that no matter how healthy we think we are, no matter how wealthy we think we are, no matter how safe or secure we think we are, no matter how predictable, how normal, how routine We've ordered our lives. It can all change in an instant. And when uh, something good happens to us, we're, we're quick to say, oh, now I see what God is doing. Oh, now I see why God has allowed this. And then the next thing happens, and we realize we didn't really know what we thought we knew. And if we're honest we've often been gripped by this feeling of powerlessness and confusion about what's coming next in our lives, not just this spring. Several years ago, my dad passed away. A month later, uh, Kristen and I discovered that we were expecting Kristen was pregnant. What a gift God was giving us in the midst of our sorrow. God is the Lord who gives and takes. He had taken, and now it's his time to give. 
But then, well before we could even find out the sex of the baby, Kristen had a, a miscarriage. We named the baby Piper Jordan, a good unisex name. We had assumed so much about why God had allowed Kristen to get pregnant because we were trying to make sense of our family's story and our recent loss, to know that it somehow means something, that it matters, that God still loves us. Well, today we have a story which Christians call the transfiguration. It will seem odd for the next several minutes, but then we'll see suddenly how clearly it speaks to our world right now. So we meet three followers of Jesus named Peter, James, and John. They were Jewish as all of Jesus' original followers were, meaning they were God's chosen people as we learn about in the Old Testament. God had elected this nation to have a special relationship with them, not just so they would huddle within themselves and be blessed, but so eventually the entire world would be blessed through them. But they disobeyed God over and over and over. And so God allowed them to be conquered first by one nation, then another, then another, and now they're ruled by Rome. They haven't been a free, independent people for hundreds of years. Will God leave them powerlessness, powerless forever? When will he set things right? Along comes Jesus claiming that God would set everything right through him. Now, so far, we've learned as we've walked through the gospel of Matthew, we've, we've learned that Jesus is God's son who has taken on flesh, born of the Virgin Mary. He is fully God and fully human, which uniquely qualifies him to represent Israel to God the Father, perfectly obey God's law as Israel's representative, and establish a kingdom that would never end, which would bless the entire world and welcome all races into God's family. Peter, James, and John have bought into this as much as they could, but things have not been going as expected. All the religious leaders of Israel have rejected Jesus. And he's not teaching them to fight Rome. They may have felt like the karate kid. Hey, Mr. Miyagi, what's up with all this wax on, wax off stuff? When do we learn karate? When do we fight Rome? When do we get the power? Is Jesus really the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament, the promise? Does the story make sense? Will all these loose threads ever come together? Jesus takes them on a mountain and gives them something that they'll look back on and draw strength from after he returns to God the Father, something that will help us too in 15 or 20 minutes. So stay with me as we run this story. Verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. The original readers to the Gospel of Matthew would have caught several allusions to the Old Testament story of God revealing his glory to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus, the second book of the Bible. Before we go any further, let's look at these similarities. There's a reference to six days. After six days, God doing this new thing. Matthew 17, 1, Exodus 24, 16. 
The cloud that covers the mountain, Matthew 17, 5, Exodus 24, 16. God's voice from the cloud, Matthew 17, 5, Exodus 24, 16. Three companions that bear witness, Matthew 17, 1, Exodus 24, 1 and 9. A transformed appearance, Matthew 17, 2, Exodus 34, 30. And the reaction of fear on the part of the three companions, Matthew 17, 6, Exodus 34, 30. Wild. But what happens next is really strange. We learn in verse 3 that uh, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking to Jesus. Now, the weirdest thing about this is the last anyone had seen of Elijah, he was riding a chariot of fire 800 years before the birth of Jesus. And Moses has been dead for 1,300 years. Now stop and think about this for a minute. Our nation is less than 250 years old. And everyone that you read about in U.S. history, Ben Franklin, Harriet Tubman, we live much closer to their time than Peter, James, and John lived to the time of Elijah and the time of Moses. Yet, faithful Israelites had expected the return of Moses and Elijah at the inauguration of the kingdom of God, according to Deuteronomy 18 and Malachi 4. Moses was the leader that God had used to free Israel from bondage to Egypt in the great exodus. And he is the prophet who received the Ten Commandments and all that we call the law from God. Elijah is a later prophet who called Israel to repent for breaking God's law so God would bring their dying and divided kingdom back to unity and life. So, although the parallels between Jesus and Moses on Mount Sinai are crazy, Jesus ministered more like Elijah than any other prophet with his mix of healings and miracles and warnings of divine judgment. So there are a lot of parallels between Jesus and between Moses and Elijah. So when the disciples see Jesus shining like the sun, talking to two men and referring to them as Moses and Elijah, the wheels start turning. You see, if Moses and Elijah have shown up to endorse Jesus, and if Jesus himself has been saying the entire Old Testament is all about him, and here here these towering figures are endorsing him, then I guess maybe Jesus really is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the culmination of God's story. Maybe this story is going somewhere. Maybe it makes sense. Verse 4, Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, this seems like a boneheaded Peter statement here, but Peter is just trying to understand their story. Israel had dwelt in shelters in the wilderness back in Exodus when God's glory uh, dwelled among them. And Israel commemorated this in a yearly holiday by building replica shelters. It was called the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Tabernacles or the Festival of Shelters. So Peter is making the connection that Jesus wants him to make, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Exodus story and the hope of Israel. Next verse. 
But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. This is exactly what God the Father had said at the baptism of Jesus, only this time he ends with three new words. Listen to him. And these words remind us of the repeated commands in the Old Testament to listen to and obey the voice of God. Verse 6, the disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. Having borne witness to Jesus, Moses and Elijah vanish, leaving Jesus alone. The era of the law and the prophets is over. Every loose thread is tied up and God has pointed the way forward. Listen to Jesus. Verse 9, as they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The scene of transfiguration was like the curtain between the spirit world and our world being ripped open and revealing that this flesh and blood person named Jesus was God. And the others will understand this better after Easter. In fact, these three will understand it better in the context of his death and resurrection. When Luke writes of this event in his biography of Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Luke gives us a detail that Matthew leaves out. Luke tells us what Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were talking about. Luke says they were discussing the upcoming exodus of Jesus. That's literally the word that Luke uses, the exodus of Jesus, where where Jesus would break Satan's power on the cross and lead us out of bondage to Satan, sin, and death, just as God broke Pharaoh's power and led his children out of bondage to Egypt in the first exodus. So as glorious as the transfiguration was, it was just one page. It was not the final stage. And they, the disciples, will understand this page in the context of what is to come. Verse 10. Then his disciples asked him, Why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Now here again, they are just trying to make sense of this story. The last book of the Old Testament, the book of the prophet Malachi, said that Elijah would return before the day of the Lord. But as far as they knew, Elijah hadn't returned before Jesus had begun his public ministry. Can they trust this story? Verse 11. Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized, and they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. Then the disciples realized he was talking about John the Baptist. Now the disciples have an aha moment, and everything falls in place. Last December, when the rise of Skywalker came out in theaters, when I, when I first learned that was the title of the, this last Star Wars movie, I thought, Rise of Skywalker, but Luke died in the last one. And the actress who plays Princess Leia died in real life, so it can't be her, can't be referring to her. And we learned in the last movie that Rey is not the daughter 
of Skywalkers. Ah, but is the rise of Skywalker referring to a biological descendant of Luke? Or is someone else grafted in to carry on his work, his ministry? Do Luke and Leia appear from the great beyond to endorse someone as a Skywalker? Well, if you didn't see it in theaters, find out tomorrow on Disney+. Plus. May the 4th be with you. And when you do, you'll see the connection here. John the Baptist wasn't literally Elijah, but he had the same anointing and he carried out the same mission. So the rise of Elijah led to the revealing of Messiah. And so now, with this last aha in place, the disciples are starting to see that every page of this story is all about Jesus. We see Jesus as the new and better Adam and as the seed who was promised to Eve, who would crush the serpent's head. We see Jesus in Moses and Elijah, sure, but we see him in every prophet like Huldah, priest like Aaron, and king like David. We see Jesus in Noah, who built an ark to preserve humanity, and we see him in Deborah, who judged God's people in equity. We see Jesus in Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, only to forgive and shelter them. And we see him in Esther, a queen who put her life on the line for her people. We see Jesus as the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham, and we see him in Lady Wisdom of Proverbs. Jesus has passed the test of the law and applied his test score to us. And in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, he has absorbed Israel's exile, and he has led our exodus from Satan, sin, death, and disease. As we are united with Christ, we participate in his victory, living every day, knowing that ultimately we cannot lose because Jesus is the power of the church. As Sally Lloyd-Jones writes in the Jesus Storybook Bible, which many of us read to our little ones, every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. Here's the point. I know it's very easy to get distracted online. There's all kinds of things going on. If you've missed anything, here is the point. If we can see that God is in control of a story that stretches to the dawn of time, working even in the lives of people who live much farther before the birth of Jesus than we live after the birth of Jesus, and if God has revealed that Jesus was the point and the hero all along, the Jesus who died for us, who lives for us, and who promises to complete his good work in us, then we know that we are in his story and it will end well. No matter what you're going through, no matter how things look today, it is just one page. It is not the final stage. Now, this would be great if I know what I'm talking about. How can we be sure that today's odd little story, the transfiguration, really means everything I've just said it means? 
So I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Could we take someone else's word for it? Someone whose very words were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write one of the final letters in the Bible. A letter written to Christians just like you and I. A letter written within one lifetime of the events of today's story. Well, it turns out we can, and we call this letter 2 Peter. Hear these words from chapter 1, verse 16. We were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, here's the point. Here's what, we, what they learned. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. Those words are reaching us across the years, reminding us of witnesses who could say, I know what I saw and heard, and I know what it means. Trust the story. No matter what you're going through, no matter how things look, it is just one page. It is not the final stage. This story goes way back. And I don't know how much farther it will go how many more twists and turns there will be, but because Christ fulfilled everything that God's law demanded. Because Christ was crucified and raised for us, we can trust that every detail of our lives matters. And so here is what we do with that. Here is my Monday challenge to you. And it's something that there's no way you can do in one day, but you can make a start of it. Here it is, plain and simple. Read the Old Testament. Now, we, we do well. It is good to look for evidences of grace in your life, to look for evidence of where God is leading and what God is doing. Just know that sometimes you won't be able to tell. And sometimes you'll be wrong about where you think God is leading and what you think God is doing. Because your life is just one page. And you're living it in real time, so you're too up close to be able to see. Here's what I mean by that. I have for you today, Wuthering Heights by one of the all-time great authors, Anne Bronte. Now, Let's say I, I've never uh, read Withering Heights before. I've only heard that it is a classic novel, so I want to check into it. And I just decide that I'm just going to open up to some random page and start reading. Furthermore, I'm going to get right up close to it, stick my nose right in it so all the words are kind of blurring together and I 
something, let's see, I'm afraid, Ellen, you'll set me down. I can't tell what this is. Stupid. Back to Twilight. No, don't do that. One of the many gifts that God gives us when he gives us the Bible is the gift of perspective. The whole big story. Start at the beginning. Read the Old Testament. Now, one easy way to do it and to tell how the story of Jesus is seen in the Old Testament alongside the New Testament is to do the daily readings in our app. And this is very easy. I'll walk you through this real briefly. You just tap media and then tap daily Bible devotions. Each day you'll read a passage in Psalms, another Old Testament passage, and a New Testament passage. There are more scriptures on Sundays and on special days like Christmas and Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Each day's reading reflects the current season of the church calendar. The daily passages also fit within each other. The Old Testament passage is a parallel, a contrast, or a symbol that finds its fulfillment in the New Testament. So this is something you can do all by yourself, or this is something you can do with family devotionals. One of the things that pastors get asked the most is, hey, how do I do a family devotional? I don't, I just, I don't understand. Do I just, how do I choose which scripture to read? This, this does it for you. This, uh, these scriptures that we do daily in the app are from something called the Revised Common Lectionary. So let me tell you how this works and how this has worked in the Gillis family. A few years ago, when uh, my oldest sons, Garrett and Logan, were still living at home. They're in college now. When, when they were at home and after Connor had learned to read, then um, usually around dinner time, we would, we would work through this real quick. So Logan reads a, the psalm for the day. And then Garrett reads the Old Testament passage. And then Connor reads the New Testament passage. And then we simply talk about it. What does this mean? Why do you think these passages were put together? What is one saying about the other? And little by little, you start making these connections, how the, this, this story in the Bible all comes together and is all about Jesus and the hope that we find in him. All the things that happen to us that we can't understand. It's just one page. It is not the final stage. And a page that is separated from its script won't always make sense, but we can trust our author to sort every page in its proper sequence and produce a masterpiece that spans untold millennia. We can work in God's kingdom, not frantically as if victory is up to us, but out of simple gratitude and trust that in our union with Christ, the source of our power, God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know why we lost Dad and Piper when we did. I don't know why 250,000 people this year have died from a virus that no one had even heard about last year. But I know the story we're in. And that the final chapter is still to come. 1 Corinthians 15 so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. How do we know this? It's already happened once. 
Christ died for us in a broken body and rose for us in power and majesty, ascending to God's throne. The Mount of Transfiguration was a foretaste of his resurrection glory. But the Mount of Crucifixion stands in between, showing what great love this one who holds our story has for us. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is robed in glory, celestial light. On the Mount of Crucifixion, he hangs naked as soldiers gamble for his clothes. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he stands between Moses and Elijah, two heroes of the Bible. On the Mount of Crucifixion, he hangs between two nameless criminals. On the Mount of Transfiguration, a bright cloud envelops the scene. On the Mount of Crucifixion, an eerie midday darkness covers the land. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter says, Lord, this is wonderful. Let's create a holiday for it. On the Mount of Crucifixion, Peter is hiding in shame, having denied three times that he even knows who Jesus is. On the Mount of Transfiguration, God the Father thunders from heaven, Listen to my dearly loved Son. On the Mount of Crucifixion, an enemy soldier says, I think we killed God's son. Theologian N.T. Wright says, we only understand one mountain when we see it alongside the other. We must learn to see the glory in the cross. But we must learn to see the cross in the glory. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread like this one. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Then he took a cup of wine like this one. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me until I come again. After I pray for us, uh, Begin partaking communion with what elements you have on hand in your house. We'd love for you to take a picture and post it on your Facebook wall or in our People of Sojourn New Albany Facebook group. Use the hashtag HeIsRisen because we're in the season of Easter. We're in Eastertide. Let us see you taking communion together. The crucifixion of Christ was the most necessary page but not the final stage. He died for you. He lives for you. Receive him. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series, audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.